transfigured on the mount of Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the O giver of light, glory to Thee. Good evening. Welcome back to another live stream Bible study from Tarpon Springs, Florida. I am Father Athanasios Heros. I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries and the Dean here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you back. I say back because we're back for another season. Last week was our first Bible study of the ecclesiastical year and I am bound and determined to finish 1 Corinthians this year. If it kills me, it has been three years since we started this project, and this comes in the way, and that gets in the way, and this and that, but we're going to make it as best we can. So if you're new, let me tell you how it works. First of all, welcome. If you're returning, join us sometime in person here in downtown Tarpon Springs. We are located in Father Trifon Hall, which is right next door to the historic St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in downtown Tarpon. All right, so here's how it works. Our Bible study is inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom, who we believe somewhere around the year 385, while he was actually a priest in Antioch, taught a Bible study series on 1 Corinthians. We know that this was a Bible study series instead of actual sermons because the breakup of the, of the scripture passages does not line up with the lectionary. As opposed to, let's say, his study on the book of Acts, every homily matches the lectionary reading for the day. In this case, it does not, which indicates that it was not a liturgical homily, it was an actual class that he was teaching. So right around 385, and our benefit for doing this is that St. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth in the first century, and the church in Corinth was very much like America, a highly educated, uh, pan-multicultural, uh, uh, very wealthy, and yet divided and very fragmented society, much like contemporary America, and St. John Chrysostom preaching to the church in Antioch, also very much like current day America. So we have a lot to learn. We have from St. Paul to St. John Chrysostom today, the society is very similar, right? Um, and so that offers us uh, some vantage points and some, and some views. There is a study guide for your Bible study. If you have not yet downloaded your study guide, you please go to my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible dash studies. And if you scroll down, you'll see session 26, which is for tonight. And our homily is homily 25. The numbers are always one off because we are one session ahead because the first week is not an actual homily, it's just an introduction. If you're new, I encourage you to go back to session one 
It shows you the outline of 1 Corinthians. It shows you how we study the Bible here on our Bible study series. There is a live chat room moderated by my wife, Presbytero Vasi, and she's in the room tonight. And so if you have any questions that you'd like to bump up into the live stream, she will offer that and I will do my best to answer your questions. Now, if you're watching on my website or if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere other than YouTube, you have to be on YouTube to participate in the live chat. And there should be a button on your screen that says view on YouTube and click that, it'll launch your YouTube player if you have an account, and then you can participate in the live uh, chat room. Presbytera, who do we have with us tonight in the live chat room? Tonight we have Maria from Michigan, and we have Ray and Jane from Lando Lakes, and Denise from Virginia, and I can't remember their name from Iowa. Someone, um, RSS is from Des Moines, Iowa, and I can't remember their name. I'm so sorry. Please let me know your name. But I'm glad that to see everybody here. All right. So, um, again, session 26, homily 25. That's the study guide for tonight, right? It goes to section one, then section four. Yes, that's right. You got it. You're, you're correct. Oh, Randy. Oh, Randy. Okay, good. First um, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 25 through chapter 11, verse 1. And as Tino's pointed out, I neglected to put the section numbers on the study guide. So you are out of luck in terms of what sections these quotes are from. But I will uh, endeavor to correct the online study guide at a later time. So if you're watching this not live, then your study guide actually is probably accurate. <laughs> oh, speaking of watching online, I know that you probably saw a commercial when you launched this evening's Bible study. If you would like to help us eliminate commercials from Be Transfigured Bible Studies, there's a donation button on your screen. You can donate through YouTube or you can go to our website, liveandolifeinchrist.org slash give and become a monthly supporter and everything, if we can get to $2,000 in ad deferrals, if you want to call it that, we will eliminate all ads from our Bible study. So that invitation is all out there. The more help we get, the better. Okay, let's go ahead and begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, a light of our souls and bodies, and to you we give glory, together with your Father, who is without beginning, and your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, always, now, and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. All right, we've got a great, great Bible study plan for tonight. Let's start with a volunteer to read. Do I have a volunteer to read? Chapter 10, verses 25 through chapter 11, verse 1. Do I have a volunteer? Go ahead, go ahead. 
eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sakes. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it, and for, for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to gl the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I always please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. All right, so here we are. We are revisiting yet again the topic of meat offered to idols. And we're, he's going to finally put it to bed tonight. All right, this has been a long process for St. Paul. And we're going to dig right in. So here we are, quote number one. And again, I'm sorry that the study guide does not show where in the homily these are, but we'll do the best to get through it all. All right, point number one. We should not act by fear and panic. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. That he might not by this fear drive again to another extreme, and they be forced, exercising a greater scrupulosity than was necessary, to feel alarm, lest possibly even without their knowledge there might come in some such thing either from the market or from some other quarter to release them from this strait, he says, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, eat asking no question. All right, now keep in mind, St. John Chrysostom is a philosopher also, right? So he writes in very flowery and sometimes very complicated language. So I always encourage you to read the homily in advance. So as we're getting through this, it, we're hearing it the second or maybe even third time. So here, when he's referencing, when St. Paul says, eat whatever's offered, don't even ask. He's doing that so we don't trip into this level of paranoia and this panic. Right, that's what St. John Christum's point here is. We shouldn't act in panic and fear. We should act in love and freedom. And so that's an important thing here. So uh, this is how St. John Chrysostom likes to make the connection for St. Paul in how he's bringing us along. Remember, St. Paul doesn't like to drag us somewhere. He likes to nurture us so that we're coming to the same conclusions that he is, okay? Point number two, intent makes something evil. Just keep in mind, the entire context tonight is this idea of eating meat offered to idols, okay? We're going to take that, I'm going to take it, St. John Christum is going to take it, and we're going to apply it to other things throughout the evening, but just keep in mind that the the example that St. Paul is using is meat offered to idols, right? So this point here is that intent is what makes something evil. Listen to what Chrysostom says here, point number two. For such is the nature of those things which are not in their essence evil, but through the man's intention make them unclean. Nothing food is not evil. It's what we do with it that brings that brings the evil. And again, we can 
transfer that to other topics, right? The world, the globe, humanity is not in essence evil. It's what we choose is our intent that brings something evil. Continuing that topic number three, nothing is inherently evil or unclean. Now if the earth and the fruits and the beasts be all his, nothing is unclean, but it becomes unclean otherwise from our intention and our disobedience. So now he's adding disobedience. So it's what we intend to do with it and are we disobedient, right? So now he's, he's adding a layer. Do you see how he's kind of drawing us along so we come to the same conclusions that, that he wants us to be at? Point number four. Hypocrisy brings judgment on the person and the church. Right? Keep, keep in mind, like we talked about last week, in Holy Communion, we are united to each other. So our actions reflect on the other members of the church, right? So listen to what he says here. But the Gentile knows not how to judge of my rule of life, nor to see into the liberality of my master, but will condemn and say to himself, Christianity is a fable. They abstain from the idols, they shun demons, and yet cleave to the things offered to them, Great is their gluttony, right? So this context, remember, in the, in the context of the meat offered to idols, this is that we're causing a scandal. When he says, don't even ask, but if they tell you, then don't eat, right? Because now if they tell you that it was meat offered to idols, now we're becoming the hypocrites. We say we don't... We don't believe in the idols. We say we don't this, we say we don't that. But now we're going to eat the things that we know are offered to idols. And so we don't want our hypocrisy to bring judgment on ourselves or on the church. Point number five, avoid knowingly associating with demons. Why then abstain, say you? Not as though I should become unclean, far from it, but for my brother's sake, and that I may not become a partaker with devils, and that I may not be judged by the unbeliever. For in this case, it is no longer now the nature of the thing, but the disobedience and the friendship with devils which makes me unclean. And no purpose of heart works the pollution. Right? So... This understanding, remember, this is how we are being perceived by other people. Okay, and so when we go out, remember this is also really big for St. Paul, although he's not directly talking about it here, but in, in, in a manner he is. That he expects a different behavior within the church than outside the church. Not that we are hypocrites, but that outside the church, we have a responsibility to represent the church, right? Inside, we hold each other to a higher standard because we're inside the church. And so that's why he says, I don't want to be thought of as evil even among disbelievers, right? So if I can make a, if I can make a comparison here to fasting, Right? This is the common, the common theme when we talk about fasting. You know, people always say, well, you know, we should eat whatever's offered to us. And this is part of the defense that people use that we should eat whatever's offered to us. 
right? But along that same line, so yeah, so if you go to a friend's house who's not orthodox, and they offer you this amazing spread on a Wednesday, then yeah, you're going to eat from that and you're not going to worry about it. However, if you go to someone's house who's a member of the church and they offer you this big spread on a Wednesday, now St. Paul would say, now don't eat because you're going to be a scandal to them because they know that it's Wednesday. They know that you shouldn't be eating. So you see, it's the how you're perceived by someone who knows or doesn't know. Now, either way, St. Paul says, eating is not going to make me evil or good, but it's the relationship, it's the intent, it's that how am I perceived? So using this to compare ourselves to fasting, I tell people, when you're going somewhere, if you're not among Orthodox Christians and they offer you something, be, be hospitable, or not the hospitable, be be thankful. That's the word I'm looking for, right? Gracious. gracious. Thank you very much. Be gracious. All right. That's the. You understand? It makes makes sense, right? Because you make them feel bad. Right now, if, for example, I have friends who are not Orthodox, and I have one friend. You ain't got no friends. Um, and they say to me, you know, they're coming over now. Do you have any dietary? because they love me and they want to ask if, I'm, if I have any restrictions. Now, now, in that sense of relationship, I can say something. I'm not boasting or this or that, you know, but again, it's because they've asked me, my, they've asked for my consideration. But if they're not going to ask, then I go and I, and I eat what is offered to me. Now, there's, a, there's another option. And that is, if we're not comfortable eating, then it's also okay to turn down invitations, especially if they're on fasting days or during Lent. So if somebody says, hey, we're having a big anniversary party, you know, you can politely, you know, now of course if it's a member of your family, then you know that all those different complexities are there. But we don't always have to accept now, I'm not saying become a, 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 a recluse where you don't go into anybody's homes, but there's a, there's a, a good combination. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah? Okay. Go right ahead. Turn your microphone on. There was one time we were starting to learn how to fast again as we were um, in high school. We were inspired to keep the, the 40 days and... But we compromised by allowing meat on Sundays so that we wouldn't just go full into it. So we said meat on Sundays, but we'll no meat any other days. And my, so the, my dad served ribs. And one of my sisters was so sweet, she would like find the leftover rib that somebody else ate from and put it on her plate. So everybody just assumed that was hers. And she would still keep the fast on Sundays too. And just kind of like keep it below the radar. That's another, that's, an, that's another way to do it in, in a way that's gracious. Not like, okay, let me just not, so I'm not going to make you think about what I'm doing. I'm just going to do what I want to do, not make a big deal about it. I just, it was nice. I can, see, I can see how that would be beneficial. Okay, point number six. Oh, wait, we do have a question. Okay, go ahead. 
Lise wants to know that if you ask your, if the friend says, where should we go? And you say a seafood restaurant, because it's Friday, is that boastful in some ways? Because what if the friend asks why? I, I think the answer is again, because the friend has asked, Denise, because they have asked, now you're in a, a, a genuine dialogue with your friend. It's not boasting at all. And just say, yeah, it's Friday. We don't eat meat on Fridays or, or we're fasting. Or I like to tell people anywhere I can get a salad. They don't have to know why you're getting a salad. Maybe you're on some kind of special cleansing diet, they, you know, a variety of things. But now that they've asked, now you're in a genuine dialogue there. And it's okay to answer those questions because you're with friends. Great question, Denise. Okay. Point number six. Do not let, do not use your freedom to cause others to blaspheme. For Christ gave you grace and set you on high and above all injury from that quarter. Not that you might be evil spoken of, nor that the circumstance which has been such a gain to you as to be a matter of special thanksgiving should so injure others as to make them even blaspheme, right? Again, don't let our freedom create sin in other people. That goes all the way when St. Paul says, if I never eat meat again to avoid my brother sinning, then I'll never eat meat again. Right? The idea is the relationship between us. It's not just the food. Right? This is what St. Paul's trying to help us see in St. John Chrysostom. It's not about the food, it's about the intent, it's about the relationship, it's about what are we honoring in this entire thing. Yeah, we can eat whatever we want and it's not going to be our condemnation. However, Okay, it's like I'm a priest, so if I go somewhere on a Friday and they see me eating this prime rib on a Friday, I'm going to bring scandal to the church. And they're going to say, oh, see the priest, he's eating a big old piece of prime rib on a Friday. Right now, I've caused someone to blaspheme. So don't allow freedom to be the cause of others to blaspheme, right? Okay, point number seven. Now, this is an important one, especially for our non-Orthodox friends. Do not try to persuade non-believers. Because you cannot persuade him, even though you should say it 10,000 times, weak as he is and hostile. For if your brother has not yet been persuaded by you, much less the enemy and the Gentile. That is so huge for us. Again, forget about food for a moment. I think we talked about this last week, maybe. We are in a society that tries to pressure and tries to force and tries to oblige everyone to what we think they should be doing. Okay? And that's why he says here, don't even try to persuade them. If you can't persuade your fellow believers... Ain't no way you, sorry by my bad English, there's no way you're going to persuade a non-believer, right? But isn't that what we do when we walk the streets and we call the radio stations and we post on Facebook and this, it's, it's like we take it upon our shoulders to convert the world, all right? And that's not our job. It's not our job. So here we have it here in black and white. If you don't want to believe me, believe St. John Chrysostom. Point number eight, 
Do not give anyone cause to be offended. Give no handle to anyone, since in the case supposed, both your brother is offended and the Jew will the more hate and condemn you, and the Gentile in like manner deride you even as a gluttonous man and a hypocrite. Now, I have to remind you, if you're not reading the homily, these captions really don't mean much. Okay? This is really a way to take the homily and enrich it, our understanding of the scripture. Okay? Because here, this is in regard to how we are interacting at the dining room table. Is it a believer? Do they tell us what the food is? It is, a, is it a non-believer? This whole thing is how we're interacting. That's the essence here that St. John Christum is getting at, okay? But if we're not reading, this is really important to read the homilies before the Bible study, and then maybe even again afterwards. Because I'm only drawing it out to have us have a broader understanding. We can't possibly read it all in one hour. Right, the homilies, some of them like next week is a pretty long one if you haven't read it yet. Okay, point number nine is our last point in our text analysis before we go on to our life application. All good works are useless if they are self-serving. Think about that. Just let that sink in for a moment. All good works are useless if they are self-serving. That should be a good bumper sticker, Presidenta. Oh, yeah. All good works are useless if they are self-serving. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For nothing can so make a man an imitator of Christ as caring for his neighbors. Nay, though you should fast, though you should lie upon the ground and even strangle yourself, but take no thought of your neighbor, you have wrought nothing great but still standest far from this image while so doing. And this is where we Orthodox really fall into the trap of all of the stuff that we do. Our fasting, our prostrations, our prayer rule, our this, our that, this litany of things that we as Orthodox Christians do as part of our, as our spiritual journey, as part of our disciplines. If those things are done out of self-serving purpose, there's absolutely no benefit. If our even helping others, we're going, let's say we do the soup kitchen, let's say we go here, let's say we go there. If we're doing any of it as self-serving to lift ourselves up, we have absolutely no benefit. Okay, better not even to do it. Okay, and this is again, I was blogging about this today if you read my blog about faith and works, right? Our works are not gonna get us any closer to God. Our faith is what drives the works. I've said before, I don't think I've said it in a Bible study recently, but even atheists can feed the poor. But when an atheist feeds the poor, that's not making them any closer to Christ because they're only simply feeding the poor, right? There's this, but if they're doing it out of love, now they're close to Christ and don't even realize it because they're acting in love for the other person, 
right? So it's an important thing for us to remember. All right, so we move now on to our life application. And if you're new, uh, St. John Chrysostom almost always takes something in the, in, the, in the scripture, maybe one verse, maybe even a word sometimes, and he launches into this moral teaching, which I call a life application. It's no longer about the text directly, but now it's about life. And so this is where we kind of shift gears. This is where we're actually talking about making a change in our life. As I've said before, even if we memorize the scriptures, it is a useless exercise if it does not somehow change our life. And so Chrysostom always does, I think we've only found once, maybe twice, where he has not done this in his homilies. And if you've been following along on our Be Transfigured Bible Studies, this is our third series. We have the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and now 1 Corinthians. And only twice have we seen him not launch into that uh, to that teaching. So here we have our life application, and tonight's life application is called Seek the Benefit of Others Before Yourself. You see, that's how he's launching into this idea, is taking this from this self-serving and this serving other people, right? Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. All right, so point number one in our life application. Nothing good comes unless others, are, unless others are benefited. Listen to what he has to say here. For no virtuous action can be very exalted when it does not distribute its benefit to others also, and is shown by him who brought the one talent safe and was cut in sunder because he had not made more of it. Remember, that's that story of the, the five, the three, and the one. The guy who buried the talent, who made no benefit to anybody else, he was the, the wicked one, right? So if our charity, if our good works, if our helping other people does not bring a benefit to other people, it's absolutely useless. Next point. The saints shine because they love others like Christ loves others. And here in the homily, St. John Chrysostom goes into Moses and Abraham. He goes to this whole litany of different characters from the Old Testament. For so also those great and noble persons who were in the beginning made this their chiefest care. Examine accurately their life and you will see clearly that none of them ever looked to his own things, but each one to the things of his neighbor whence also they shone the brighter. And that's the case with the saints of the church too, right? Not just, not just those in the scriptures, but in the history of the church. The saints shine because they love like Christ loved. Remember, all of this is inspired by St. Paul's in, uh, encouragement to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Okay, next point. Those that seek their own interests suffer. So not only is there no benefit if you seek your own interest, but now, Chris, I'm saying you will even suffer, we will even suffer if we're seeking our own interest. But as for those who sought their own, consider what harm too they received. The nephew, for instance, of this last mentioned, because he's talking about Lot, by the way, 
because he listened to the saying, if you will go to the right, I will go to the left, and accepting the choice, sought his own prophet, did not even find his own, but this region was burned up, while that remained untouched. Jonah again, not seeking the profit of many, but his own, was in danger even of perishing. And while the, while the city stood fast, he himself was tossed about and overwhelmed in the sea. So here, this is that, again, I mentioned this in Sunday in my homily. We have to know the Old Testament because it helps prepare us for the New Testament. So here, Chrysostom is reaching into the Old Testament, shows all these wonderful examples. The righteous people of the Old Testament who were helping other people shined like Christ. The people of the Old Testament who thought about themselves suffered. And that should prepare us. We will suffer if we focus on ourselves as opposed to other people. Next. <clears throat> It is a greater blessing to suffer instead of others. So on this theme of suffering, now you see how Chrysostom is bringing us along. For in the former case, though it be a great thing to exchange prosperity for affliction for your neighbor's sake, nevertheless, it brings some consolation to have partakers in the misfortune. But consenting to be himself alone of the distress, that others may enjoy their good things, this belongs to a much more energetic soul and to Paul's own spirit. Right? So in this case... What Christam is saying here is, if we co-suffer with other people, okay, that's okay, we have someone to suffer, but we get a better, a greater benefit if we accept the suffering so they don't have to, right? Now we get an extra benefit because we are, okay, remember, we're imitating Christ. What did Christ do? He suffered so we don't have to. That's the imitation here. All of this is an imitation of Christ. It's really cool stuff. I'm giggling a bit because <clears throat> there's that line on Raymond where she's like, I'll do it. I'll be the one who does it. I'll be the one who suffers. And sometimes you have that passive aggressive person or that narcissist that's like, oh, I'm suffering so much for you so that you can have everything. I'm suffering. And people can take that sense into a very abusive and um, a, a, a um, what's the word? And they want to try to convince somebody to do something. Anyways, they try to manipulate people with it. Well, it's not meant to be a manipulative tactic. It's meant to be sincere. All right, make sure I remember when I go home, I'll be the one to turn off the lights. That'll be the... Okay. Uh, where are we? Yes, 14. So, we get a greater blessing if we suffer instead of others. Now, Christam says, we get the greatest blessing when we suffer for others. So, we have the instead of others... And now we have the four others. Listen to what he says here. I may mention also a third point of superiority. And what is this? 
that some of those, though they interceded for the persons who conspired against them, nevertheless, it was for those with whose guidance they had been entrusted. And the same thing happened as if one should stand up for a wild and lawless son but still a son. Whereas Paul wished to be accursed in the stead of those who, with whose guardianship he was not entrusted. This very specifically is regarding uh, when St. Paul's talking about the non-believers, right? So it's one thing to suffer instead of a believer. Now he's saying, I want to suffer for them so they don't have to suffer. That's, a, that's the greatest benefit, right? So this is, again, in the, in, the, in the character of Christ. Okay, next. Our salvation is tied to the need of others. For since men would no otherwise make up their mind to seek the things of their neighbor, except they were reduced to this necessity. Therefore, God has joined things together and suffers them not to arrive at their own profit, except they first travel through the profit of others. All right, so I think I have to explain this one a little bit. And it's a little complicated in the sermon, I think. But the essence is this. So... Let me see if I can put it in different words. It's as if God says, all right, if I'm going to get them to serve each other, then I have to create a mutual benefit. Years ago, I was talking with someone, and they were trying to convince me that human beings are inherently selfish. And I think this is proof of that particular point that what God is helping us see is that so our salvation is linked to each other. If I'm going to be saved, I have to look out for you. Me looking out for you is also your salvation. And so if I'm looking out only for myself, I can't be saved. And so I think what what Chrysostom is trying to say here is, is that it's like God is using our fallen nature to our advantage because we are selfish in our fallen nature. He sets up a way for us to help ourselves by helping other people and therefore links each other to our salvation. That's kind of the best way to kind of understand what Christodom is saying here. We otherwise wouldn't do it. We otherwise wouldn't serve each other unless there was some benefit for us. And so there becomes that circular logic. If we're serving people just because it benefits us, there's no benefit to it. But we wouldn't serve people at all if there was no benefit to us. So God connects us together for the sake of our salvation. And Chrysostom is also the one who said, the poor are there for the sake of the rich and the rich are there for the sake of the poor. There's this melding together. Okay? So I hope that's a slightly better understanding there. Right, last point in our life application. <clears throat> 
our serving others must be an act of love in order to save us. One ought to be persuaded not from this reason, but from what pleases God. For it is not possible to be saved wanting this. But though you should exercise the highest perfection of the work and neglect others who are perishing, you will gain no confidence toward God. It's love. Why did Christ suffer on the cross? Out of love. Okay, he took the suffering instead of us. And this is again, this is all part of what it means to imitate Christ. We're going to take other people's suffering. We're going to suffer for them. We're going to suffer instead of them because we love them. Not because we're trying to do something for ourselves. That is when we're really imitating Christ. When our actions and our serving of other people is an act of love rather than an act of self-servingness. This is really, uh, in a nutshell, what the life application is. It has to help other people. It helps us because it helps other people, right? But it can't be because we're trying to elevate ourselves. It's got to be merely because we love. And again, that was part of my blog today in terms of faith and works. If you're, if you're looking for something to read on a regular basis, I invite you to visit my daily blog. You've already found it if you found this, this uh, Bible study. Okay, so, Presbyterian, before we go on to our send-off, any questions lingering from the chat room? I'm having, I'm, I'm taking this, con their last quote of serving others in an act of love, and I'm adding that because I have the right to do that because I'm in charge of the chat room, so I can do that, that love is um when we love our intent is when love is our intent we are in the image of god we're talking about intent what is the intent when love is our intent but then i'm adding to sub to add to the great john chrysostom because i can because i'm in charge of the chat we have to learn how to love in a healthy way not everybody knows how to love purely and God knows this, or he wouldn't have said, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He knows that we are learn teachable, we're resilient. He knows we, can, we have to learn these things. They don't come naturally, or we never would have fallen in the first place. So, th so that we have, if we think that we are good at loving, we have to check ourselves and say, are we loving the way Christ loves, or are, are we loving the way we think love should be? And sometimes people have really weird sense of what love is. They become workaholics. They become foodaholics. They become food pushers. The sense of love is very skewed. So we have to learn how to properly love. So yes, you gave me the chat room, and I am using that authority. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, okay. Uh, so... Our last section of every Bible study is our send-off. Something 
inspired by the within the homily inspired by the by the scriptures that St. John Christum sends us off to our next Bible study. So our next Bible study, by the way, um, if you if you have ever wondered about head coverings in the church, next week we get the answer. Next week's Bible study is all about head coverings and women covering their head in church. So if you're interested, next week's Bible study should be a good one. Okay, so here is our send-off until next week's Bible study. Do all things in love, and let no man seek his own, that he may find his own, and bearing in mind that neither voluntary poverty nor martyrdom nor any other thing can testify in our favor unless we have the crowning virtue of love. That is it in a nutshell. We have to do absolutely everything in love, not just our traditional acts of love, but even our service, even in our suffering, even in, it's all gotta be an act of love if it is genuinely going to be a imitation of Christ. When you go home, let the girls know that everyone can hear their little, their, their little, they are kind of loud tonight, it's okay. They just came in from the, from the youth chorus and the little, the little kids are in here and they're, they're very, very excited. So you may hear them being very excited, but that's okay because that's what it means to be a family. We're all, we're all in this thing together. All right, so until next week, God bless you and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.